Hello, everyone. Welcome back. This is Julie Knudsen with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 159. And it feels funny now to be talking normally instead of reading the book because I've almost got the audiobook recording part finished. And so I'm used to reading. <laughs> and now I have to not read, but actually engage here. So this, pardon me if I'm stilted a little bit here. So today's episode is going to be uh, a a G update that's not really an update. Um, again, we're just kind of tootling along. There's not great, great strides at this point. Um, she is, uh, she's started her pile work now, got through the force fetch. And it was 107 uh, last week, a day or two, and then around 100 the others. So we did not do upland work because that's fairly counterproductive. <laughs> when it's the birds are going to die when you put them out so I don't unfortunately unless it's even at six o'clock in the morning that kind of when it's going to be that hot it's pretty tough and so the birds don't really thrive in that they're having a hard time just in a big flight pen so we're not doing that but then she you know be pointing and then trying to get them so you know this is the part that gets kind of unfun I think for a lot of people it's all exciting when they're puppies and they do new things and they do farther marks and it's, you know, and then they point and then they start retrieving the shot birds and that's all real thrilling stuff. And then comes this part and that's where you're just going through really the real fundamentals. You know, you, you do your obedience and you do your collar conditioning and you do your force fetch. And, and then if you're going on to the other things, then you start the pile work. And each one of those things is built literally on top of the preceding one. So it's not like you just kind of do some stuff or you build for a little while and take some time off and then come back. It, it's uh it's really a sequential process you know it's just like laying a brick wall you can't you can't lay the bottom and then start up on the top you've got to move it on up or the things won't hold together so that kind of makes it a lot of times for people I know just like oh let's just hurry and get through this I don't like this part or this isn't as fun as the other stuff this is the most critical part of all of it and so that's why my uh, reports are not exciting she has to be force fetched and I told you in the beginning we're having a little trouble with the quickness now we got it you know you don't just go well she's just going to be pokey and and continue to move forward you have to get the best response that she has to offer and so that's what's happened and then you keep going so I just encourage anyone that's that's in the middle of this or will be please take it very seriously and please be very detail oriented maybe most of all please understand the why before every step you do if somebody just says hey you got to do this and this and this and when they start doing that you're done i please understand the in the really in the details of what you're doing uh why you're doing it what the purpose is and how you know when you're you've gotten it and to move forward so get good help read something watch something that's good that explains that but if somebody just tells you what to do i, I don't even know how you could act on that because you have to adjust all the time to what the dog is telling you. So <clears throat> this is a real key part and she's going through it all right now. So now when we go out and like take a walk or something, she's a little more apt to chase a rabbit or something because she's just like, Ooh, I am just out of this stuff and kind of spreading her wings a little bit. I don't let her get away with it, but uh, boy, she would like to just sort of kind of go off on her own a little bit. So that's also 
It's not a negative. I mean, you do the same thing if I was doing all this stuff to you every day. I would also encourage people to do it, whether you love it or don't like it or however you feel about it, do it the majority of the days of the week, even if it's at 5.30 in the morning before you go to work or or when you come home and it, the evening is cooled off or something. But it's much easier on most dogs if there's some consistency and progress made all the time and they kind of get in the rhythm of what you're doing and the rhythm of what they're learning. A lot of times that momentum is very helpful. Instead of if you bump along for a couple days and then just stop and in their little heads it just leaves. Oh, good. No more, no more of that. And, oh, then it comes back and then they have to remember back and try and reestablish momentum. So I would keep going. Uh, with some fairly reasonable frequency the whole time on that. So today, in the spirit of the last couple of uh, podcasts that I've done, I am going to do one on another type of dog. And in most of my podcasts, when I refer to this type of dog, I'm talking about what I would call the fire-breathing dragon or the high roller. So that is not necessarily an ADHD dog. Ooh, that would be a tough combination. You know, 18 cylinders and not the transmission not quite hooked up. Oof, that would be a little tough. Uh, but I'm talking about the 18-cylinder dog. I am talking about a dog that is highly, highly motivated. Like, highly motivated. Could actually kill themselves. They're so motivated that they wouldn't recognize that they were pursuing something off of a cliff. I'm talking about very highly motivated dogs. And raising those and beginning your training with them. So people can misread these guys the same way that they can uh, misread the ADHD or sometimes the soft dogs. And there's even more types than what I'm talking about right now. But they can misread this. And you have to, when you get your puppy and you're, you know, looking at it and trying to figure out what your dog is and how you're going to approach it, you know, the ADHD dog, like I said, the attention span uh, is is kind of uh, quick, <laughs> quick and is replaced and immediately changes and it goes back and forth. And you can you can generally identify those guys by really needing them to focus. The the uh, the highly motivated, the high roller guys don't so much have that problem as they do. Once they get on something, there's no getting them off. That's kind of what how they are. They are so when they key into something that strikes something inside of them, they are so fully engaged with that, that it's hard to break into that. For example, let me give you an example on, uh, let's just use retrieving since my retrievers are always my examples here. If you get a little puppy in and I've seen some of these, you know, you get a little puppy and you throw the little puppy bumper for it, right? And as soon as the couple times it figures out, out and back, out and back, all right, they go out and back and they don't, they don't pick it up and carry it off somewhere or parade. There's none of that. They're just like, when they figure out that when they get that back to you, that means they get to go again. All, you have this intense out and back, out and back, and they can't stand it if you stop. They cannot stand it if you stop because that tapped in on those little guys, you know, the eight-week, nine-week-old guys. It taps into something, and it's like somebody took the lid off the jar of gas, and it all came out, and you can't put it back in. So they're very, very, very motivated and intensely so. I mean, they'll be jumping at you, jumping at your bumper. This, again, they want it again. So there's not the attention deficit 
there is the opposite of that. It's like, I want to do that. I want that. I want that. I want that. And they're just show into that and show as soon as they see you get out your puppy bumper, you're on your walk and you pull it out of your pocket. They're already running out the direction you throw it. Even the little guys, 10, 11 weeks old, they're like, go throw it, throw it, throw it. They're so intensely interested in this. And so that's cool. I mean, that's fun to have, but it's also something that you want to, one, be aware of like everything else. And two, you are going to have to manage that. And I said, manage, not stop, squish down, change, because that is what they are and who they are and how they're wired. But when you have one of these dogs who is intensely interested in several things like that, um, that can become, as they get older and more experienced and bigger and stronger, it can become a very difficult thing to control if the dog has never ever learned to manage themselves a little bit. So I'll give you examples of what I'm talking about with that. <clears throat> Let's just talk about the retrieving. Because on the retrievers, and I know the other guys, you know, the other functioning dogs, they, they do the same thing. You know, I've seen my, my wiener dog was like that. When he found out there were mice out there to kill, holy cow. Like, you know, we almost all we were were on kill missions all the time. And so I had to work on a wiener dog to kind of rein him in on sometimes we're just out to enjoy things. Not something doesn't always have to die viciously at your in your mouth. So sorry about it kind of a gross example but when you have these little guys and let's say that they really like to retrieve and that thing happens where you can just see it it's like their head goes 360 and they'll retrieve until their heart stops so when they're little and you recognize that it's not they're not having any trouble focusing on stuff <laughs> they're not having any trouble understanding what it is you want them to do and they don't really you could step on them and then go do it and they don't care about you stepping on them long as they get to go do it right so they're not soft they're not adhd um they're not they're just wanting to go they're like a drug addict for their activities when you have that those things which get that response in the dogs are things that you probably want to start controlling early and it, again for the retrievers that's going to be retrieving so the the rule you know the the big the big rule in retriever puppies is don't throw too many so you leave them wanting more. Okay, you're not going to have trouble with that. Don't um, worry about killing their desire. When you have those little guys where if you put too much control and you put too many rules and it's not as fun, their desire to retrieve might wane a little bit. Probably not going to happen with these guys. So because whatever you do doesn't really detract from their desire, then you want to start the control stuff early. So then when you are going to do, when you see you got one of these little things that just literally tumbles over his own face, trying to get out there as fast as he possibly can, that's where right off at eight, nine weeks right there, you, they're little enough that you set them down or hold them up, you know, where you're holding on underneath their their top legs and you're holding their little chest so they can see they're standing on their hind legs making them stay in that place and watch either what you're throwing or what someone is throwing for you make them watch hold on don't just let them go while they're wriggling and struggling to get out teach them that they have to just relax wait and then you send them so on these guys 
you might want to start that control really early. And if you do, if you have to do that on the high rollers, then you need to be consistent. You can't sometimes make them wait and other times just let them run crazy because that keeps the crazy door, the not crazy because it's not crazy, the super intense door, I'm just going to go when I want to go, open. And you don't want that. You don't want the, I'm going to just do whatever I want to do. You don't want that door to be very open. Once you have them retrieving and they've shown you what they are, now we're going to make them sit and wait. And I all the time, really, all the time. Um, so that you don't want them, those, because, let me see if I can explain this right. In their little heads and hearts, kind of combine things there. When they have this super intense passion for this thing and I mean high roller fire breathing dragon super intense when they have that okay that is forming synapse paths you know neural programming in their head right off at eight weeks at nine weeks at ten weeks it's doing that and when you just let the I want to do this and I do it I just go. They make their own decisions they make their own choices they honor their own feelings a hundred percent of the time then you begin to form those neural paths very strongly in these guys. Just like everything else, that is also intensely developed. And so it would be very good when you have one of these little guys to say, all right, I'm not going to let that happen unless I, for some reason, need to get them excited about something, which is rarely the case. But I'm going to never let those neural paths develop where they make all their own choices, go when they want uh, pursue their interests as much as they possibly can. I hope that makes sense. These guys need to love this. It needs to be fun. You never do anything that destroys that. But when it, you could hardly destroy it because they are so intense about it, be careful. Do not let the neural paths of, sure, just go if you want to. Oh, it's so fun to watch you do that. You know, I've had dogs that like the water so much, little ones, that when you threw a, a couple of bumpers out in the out in the water and didn't throw any more. They just went back out there and stayed. They just stayed out in the water. It's like, you're not going to throw any more. I'll just stay out here. So obviously with dogs that have that much free will, that much deciding that they will do what they love ahead of all other things, you have to prevent them from learning that that's even an option. So understand I'm all for dogs loving things and passionate and happy and all that. But when you have these guys, the high roller dogs, not the, not the ADHD, but the ones that are intensely about this, then just rein that in and teach them. Yes, you get to do it, but there are rules. And these are what they are. And they, so when they're little puppies, you hold them on the retrieves, right? You just hold them so you can physically restrain them. And then pretty soon you just hold their bottom down and hold them by the collar so that they're sitting on the ground. And then if they're always resisting and wrestling you, all the time, then you need to be more firm about them sitting there. Because if, if you're letting them wrestle for three weeks in a row, then you're, again, we're teaching, okay, wrestle hard as you can to go. You got to really think about the details of this stuff. So, you know, whether you got to like pick them up by the skin and thump them back down to teach them, don't be doing this now, not day one, right? But when they've showed you that they're consistently going to wrestle you as much as they can, show them that wrestling is not anything they want to do and it doesn't net them anything that they want. Matter of fact, it nets them stuff they don't want, maybe some abrupt handling. But make sure that they learn I the, the way I get this, which is what I want more than almost life itself, is I sit here and I wait to be sent. So 
be really careful about that on and for upland dogs for upland dogs and i know some there might be some people with differing opinions on this i like my dogs to be bold on birds right i like them to go even the little guys figure out when they're real little you know they can go chase they can chase the robins they can chase the chucker they can chase whatever because they're too little to really get anything else until that becomes their their heroine when once i'm on a bird you're never going to get me back till i either give up or hook on on onto something Uh, be cautious about that it's great that they really want to do it but when that begins to completely overpower any awareness of anything to you now it uh eight nine ten week old dog doesn't have enough mental ability to put all this together but when you start getting a little bit older and their head spins 360 and you're running half a mile through the field trying to get this little guy back you might start to do some reining in things, whether it's a cord thing or or pulling them off birds for a while or whatever is the wise thing to do. But don't let that become so intense and so crazy that, you know, you're going, geez, I can hardly wait till this dog's old enough that I can put an electric collar on him and, you know, basically hurt him like, oh, get out to make him stop doing this. It's much better if you never let him get all the way to the fanatical stage on on the upland bird stuff and frankly i'm going to bring up food uh on this too now most of our especially retrievers right food is a really really big deal (laughs) and they love dinner and they love to eat and some of them eat so fast that they wolf it all down and then wolf it back up again and all that i would at least work on some of these i've had i had one chocolate good lord you could have got her to rob fort knox you know for a dog biscuit she was very bad so I never made food be uh, one a reward ever because it already was. And then she, I didn't want her performing like the circus tricks. To, to, I didn't want food to be a motivation for her because she would have done anything for it. And that's not very useful in hunting and competitive stuff and all that. And she was qualified all age master hunter. But food was something that we got at the end of the day after the work and after we cooled down. And then she got her dinner and that was it and the food was not was not brought in to be a major factor other than something that she adored at the end of the day if you have one of these guys that shows you this fanaticism for food one of them would be when they eat so fast they wolf it down really they just literally pull all if you feed kibble um, they just pull it all down and don't even chew it and then it bounces back so what, what I do for that, I have their platforms are disinfected every day. I just pour their food out on a platform, on their platform in their kennels so they can just get the kibbles at a time. It takes them a lot longer to eat. And so even if they swallow, they're swallowing six at a time instead of, you know, 200. Um, but I try to, the food is not something that is a focal point in our interactions or in a focal point in my training. Be real careful because if you dog really likes food and you start doing the treat thing and all that, you, once again, we create some neural paths about food and their relationship with it that are not good for the dog or you. So I would just, on some of these that have the same thing on the food deal, I would be very cautious of that. Finally, the last section on the, the high rollers like this is, I think you have to, in general approach their fundamental work the stuff that i talked about g going through the basic obedience the force fetch collar conditioning 
pile work, all that stuff. Um, and the, the woe training for the upland pointing dogs. I think you have to approach that far. Well, all of it needs to be very mindful, but this really needs to be mindful because when you have these dogs, right, just like when you did the ADHD, if you listen to that one, you know, you have to do it in little snippets so you can kind of stay inside their attention span and then slowly expand it a little bit uh, so that they can learn things and remain focused on what you're doing. You have a slightly different thing that you're trying to do with these dogs because, I don't know how to explain it, their, their motivation for what they love, like when we're done with this, you're going to throw me a happy bumper. And so we're just waiting for any sign of that bumper. We're just, the mind is on, on the, the passion that they have and not on the little schoolwork that you're going to be doing. So you need to be aware of that and you need to be able to break into that thinking. Now you don't break into the ADHD dog's thinking because you're breaking into kind of this fractured random thing and breaking in doesn't really change anything. These dogs are kind of laser focused and it's not exactly where you wanted to be while you're doing the boring stuff. So you have to break into that and bring their attention off of what they're waiting to go do to what we are doing right now. And depending on the dog, that may be, and it could be a lot of things. It could be, um, let me see, doing your work somewhere that isn't related to any of the retrieving stuff if they're nuts about that. It could be about doing the work maybe also in a, for a shorter period with a lot more enforcement. Because if you're doing enforcement, if you are putting pressure on sit or putting pressure on heel, heel or here with leash mechanical stuff, I'm talking mechanical. If you're putting pressure on that, it needs to break through the thinking of, oh, hurry up and throw the bumper. It has to be enough enforcement pressure that it brings their thinking to what you're enforcing instead of what they're waiting to do. And you have to be aware of that and look into that with them. So when you've got those kind of dogs, teach them, teach them, you do have to pay attention to me. I'm going to make sure that you do, not by punishment, not by hurting them, but by using a high enough level of enforcement pressure on whatever it is you're doing, that that brings their attention back to what task you're asking them to carry out. That's real important. Because again, you're, it, you're, it's not ADHD. It's like they they're what they want to do is overriding what you're asking them to do because it's boring and not what they want to do. You've got to change that and go, it's boring or not, you have to pay attention to me. And then the other thing you want to do while you're doing the quote unquote boring stuff is make it not so boring. So if you're doing just, let's talk about obedience, right? Don't do, don't get into a pattern where they know exactly what you're going to do because they'll even humor you. I know we do three sits, we turn to 180 degrees and we do a little backwards and then I do this, then we're done. And so they'll just learn that dance routine and they'll humor you by doing it. You haven't really taught them what you mean to with obedience, which is you have to listen and respond to me all the time as a way of life. So we, to do that, instead of just going through the motions and going, say good, call it good. What you want to do is make it where it's far more interesting. You have to do things that they're not expecting. You have to do things differently than before. You have to add some different elements to it. It can be as simple as, you know, when you're doing just basic healing and sitting, 
Tell them to sit. You keep moving. Ooh, get them because they didn't stay seated. They were moving with you. In other words, you're getting into their head, making them listen and think. You know, walk forwards and then go backwards. Go backwards 20 feet. Teach them that they've got to do that. There's all kinds of ways. There's places where you can go over, like over, over some landscaping, over a log, over some things, and then you sit right, right on top of it. There's all kinds of stuff where they're going, what? But what you're doing is getting them off them going, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Just throw, just throw onto. Now, what did you say? Where? Well, let me see. Where are you? You want to get their focus back on that. So unlike the, the ADHD guys where we're just trying to hold focus a little while before it's off somewhere, we're trying to get this dog to put their focus on what we want, not what they want. Because they don't have a focus problem. They just have a choice problem. And they want to do their own and not necessarily what you want. So you need to know that and work on that with these guys so that no matter how intensely they want to do something, they still know that when you ask them something else, that they need to respond to that. And so getting high energy situations in this is never the answer. Just like it isn't, well, with any of them. Maybe with the soft guys, sometimes some high energy kind of entices them out of it. But high energy with the ADHD just makes that worse. And high energy with these guys tends to throw them down the road they want to already go. Some of you guys might notice that on blinds. You ever notice when you get frustrated on a blind and you start yelling? As soon as you start yelling, it kind of even gets worse. Because <laughs> you're throwing a lot of energy into a high energy, not very good situation. And so wherever they are in their heads is going to be what they do more of. And it's, it's a little bit that way with the, these, the high rollers here. So when you want to, trying to figure this out, when you want to have them connected with you and engaged in what you're doing, it isn't by yelling louder or being angry or frustrated. It's by having your timing be even better. Your timing and enforcement. So if they're just just bent to be going out in the field and chasing after something and you just want to do some very small movement healing sets then get right on them in other words make their brain pull out of that i want to place and get to where you are right now and okay i, I have what do i have to do i have to listen what do i have to do high energy kick some more in the i just want to get out of here and go do this stuff so you've got to be controlled you've got to be calm where you want to put your energy is into your timing and enforcement. Make sure you say the word enforce immediately after calmly, but whatever level enforcement on whatever action you're taking means uh, enough to them to pay attention to. So the high rollers can do, well, you know, some, they're often the very best guys if you've got, can manage them because they love beyond measure what they're doing and they're going to give a hundred percent to it. But those high rollers who have been allowed a lot of choice in their life, you're always battling, always battling. But if you take those high rollers and teach them that this is a team thing and that they do have to control themselves and that ultimately they're always doing things the way that two of you want, not just them. And you start that early before they learn to make a lot of choices and go follow their hearts instead of what the activity is you're doing together. That makes that um, 
really just a whole lot easier, just a whole lot easier. So I hope that helps. They can do everything. They can be very steady. They can do walk-ups and be steady and have flyers right over their head and all kind of noise. Yes, they can be steady, but it's way easier if they never learned anything, but I've got to control myself. I've got, the only way I get all this stuff is if I watch and I pay attention. Don't punish somebody by breaking and then you put them up in the truck and that doesn't teach them anything. They're going to go, next time you break, don't come back when they call you. So you just have to be ahead of the game and prevent the choice making from ever happening. Not punish it when it does. That's a huge thing right there. Don't punish them making a choice. It's your fault you let them get away with it. Don't let them get away with making the choices in places that you don't want. Here at the end, I'm going to do one thing that I haven't been able to do yet. And I've had a bunch of questions on training in the hot weather. And, you know, now we're all in the hot weather and I haven't had the answer out there yet. But, and as far as the answer, <laughs> it depends. It just really depends. You know, I think if you're down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I, there's not a lot you can do to get out of the hot weather. You know, out west, we can put them in the water no matter what, and then they're cooled off. I don't think that happens down south. They, plus, you have gators in there anyway, so the water isn't really a thing. So the only time that uh, a lot of people can train dogs is in the earliest of mornings, if it's cool enough. If it's cool enough. Um, and if it's not cool enough, then really all you want to do is exercise your dog with a walk or something like that, or something that's just short enough duration that they do get, you know, the cardiovascular up a little bit and all that, and then take them out and cool them off. You may not be able to do the amount of training. Now, where you don't have the high humidity uh, so that, you know, the, the air is just filled with heat with that much water in it because of the very high heat capacity of water. That's why hot water doesn't cool you off and hot water-filled air doesn't cool you off. But where we don't have that kind of humidity in the parts of the country that you don't, generally in the mornings, I, almost wherever you are, I don't know about Phoenix, <laughs> that might be just the, the ground's so hot from the day before that it's just emanating a, a tremendous amount of heat. Be aware of that, by the way. Um, but in the mornings, it's generally very cool. And so if you get up right after it's gotten light, you can literally train for half an hour, whether it's run a set of marks or blinds or run through the field or do some of your basic work. You can always do that. It means getting up. And I, you know, maybe even a little bit dark under a light or something. But that can be done. It, but you need, I mean, three minutes doesn't really get a dog exercise. You need a good 10 or 15 minutes of sustained action that isn't crazy to at least get some of the, the physical responses that you need. And so combine those with some mental things at the same time, lining drills, casting drills, you know, those kind of things that you can do to get in their head and to make them move a little bit. But one thing I, I really want people to be aware of, and I learned it on my, a lot of my cycling training, and I learned it with my wiener dog. But I would be riding my bicycle, and it had a thermometer on it that was low down beneath the pedals. There was a thermometer right there. So it was, I don't know, I can't, eight inches from the pavement or something. And when we'd be riding and they went, well, it's 101 outside today, it would be 116, eight inches above the uh, pavement. And then when I had my wiener dog, and, you know, he'd be out, and he was, you know, just a couple inches off the ground. And he, he would get so hot. And when I would reach down and, you know, and picking him up, that wasn't a relief because I'm hot too. 
but I wasn't even as hot as the ground. The ground, because when the sun shines on it and people in the hot places, um, we have that out west. You know, it, that's the, the sun shines all day long on the ground, and the ground is full of that retained heat. And so it's a lot hotter on these dogs closer to the ground than where we are up feeling it, you know, five feet up in the air or four or five or six feet up in the air. Very different temperature thing. So, wow, be aware of that. Put your hand down there and feel it sometimes. Um, and be real cautious about all of it. If they're in the wet grass, you know, that might be cooling. That might be even hot. You've got to be aware that where they are is a little bit different from from where we are. So you've got evening training, you've got early morning training. Do something for at least 15 minutes. If nothing else, you know how I'm always trying to get you guys to go jogging or biking with your dog. Squat and do that when it's cool to get some sustained, controlled, not running crazy type uh, exercise. So you're working their brain and their body at the same time and go out for 15 or 20 minutes early or late in the evening so that they get, you know, you're killing two birds with one stone there because they're having to work with you, pay attention to you, and they're also getting non-injury driving kind of a movement that's really helpful. So that's the best I can tell you. You know, I start my stuff at first light. As soon as I start, probably after I, I got to get the kennels all clean, about six o'clock in the morning, I get going on that stuff. I'll run blinds. I'll do my double T. I'll do, we do upland, all of it really early. Not when it's 107, then the ground is still so darn hot that you, you can't do it for the birds. Because where you're sticking a bird is way hotter than where I'm feeling the temperature. So a lot to think about on all that. But that's the best you can do. And then out here where we don't have the high humidity, put them in some kind of water. Take a spray bottle, a bike bottle. If there's a pond or a ditch that doesn't have icky water in it, um, cool them off. And that's another way that at least lets them kind of cool down. So that's uh, today's uh, podcast. I hope everybody is enduring this weird summer now <laughs> that we're having. And uh, stay safe and your dogs are doing well and that everybody's getting ready for the summer and fall competitive season. And uh, G and I will be back soon. <laughs>